When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Charts with Dan. The show is on Wednesday this week because it was a four-day weekend, so final numbers for Monday didn't come in until yesterday, which means the show was pushed till today. But if you didn't like that extra wait, don't worry because it's actually going to be a short turnaround Next week's show is going to be on Monday instead of the usual Tuesday slot because I have to travel Monday to go see The Flash and then the review embargo drops on Tuesday around the time when I would put up charts. So next week's Charts with Dan will be a day early as we look at the box office using the estimates. Oh, I I hate the word, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do. But we have a bunch of actual numbers to talk about here, including the very Rorschach-like opening of The Little Mermaid, which we're going to talk about in depth. Let's take a look at that weekend box office, and we'll look first of all at the three-day weekend numbers. The Friday through Sunday numbers saw The Little Mermaid at number one with $95.5 million, followed by Fast X with $23 million, a drop-off from its opening weekend of 65.6%. That is the second worst drop-off in the franchise behind only the last film, F9, The Fast Saga. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 dropped just 35% from its previous weekend gross with a $20.8 million total, and it actually outgrossed Fast X on Memorial Day Monday. So that's something to keep an eye on. Will Guardians of the Galaxy actually lap Fast X before all is said and done? By the way, this is the first time since last summer that the top three movies were all $20 million plus grocers. You'd have to go back to last June when Elvis opened up against the fifth week of Top Gun Maverick and the third week of Jurassic World Dominion to find the last time that that happened. And actually, this past weekend is only the third time since theaters shut down in 2020, along with two times last June, that we've had three $20 million-plus grocers in those top three spots. So that's a good sign for the ongoing box office recovery. Coming in fourth place on the three-day weekend was the Super Mario Brothers in its eighth week of release with another $6.4 million. Comedian Burt Kreis semi-autobiographical film The Machine comes in fifth place with just over $5 million and right ahead of comedian Sebastian Maniscalco's semi-autobiographical film About My Father, which comes in sixth place with $4.3 million. Jared Butler's new film Kandahar comes in seventh place with just over $2.3 million, followed by the indie You Hurt My Feelings at $1.3 million in under a thousand theaters. Evil Dead Rise, the top-grossing film for for Warner Brothers so far this year. In its sixth week of release, comes in ninth place with a gross of just over a million dollars. And plummeting 71% in its third week is Book Club, the next chapter. It lost a lot of theaters in order for The Little Mermaid to get into as many locations as it was playing and paid the price. Looking at the four-day Memorial Day weekend, so this is Friday through Monday, The Little Mermaid came in with a final gross of $118.8 million. Much more on that in a minute. 
FastX is in second place with $28.5 million. And again, very competitively, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 came in with $26.8 million. The Super Mario Brothers movie totals $8.2 million, followed by $5.8 million for The Machine, $5.3 million for About My Father, $2.8 million for Kandahar, $1.7 million for You Hurt My Feelings, Evil Dead Rise with $1.3 million, and Book Club, the next chapter, is able to book over $1 million when you look at the four-day weekend with just over $1.1 million. Dropping out of the top 10, we basically had half of it turning over over the holiday weekend. First of all, after nine weeks, one full academic quarter, John Wick Chapter 4 drops out of the top 10. After eight weeks and a run that would be good if the budget was much lower, Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves also exiting the domestic top 10. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret exits after four weeks. Love Again is out after three weeks. And after just two weeks, Ben Affleck and Robert Rodriguez's Hypnotic drops out of the top 10. When we're talking about Friday through Sunday grosses, The Little Mermaid had the fourth best opening weekend of the year so far. Its $95.5 million opening puts it just ahead of John Wick Chapter 4 with $73.8 million, but behind Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which opened to $106.1 million back in February. And when we look at the overall three-day weekend grosses domestically, the top four remain the same. The Super Mario Brothers movie and its debut weekend of $140 $46.3 million is at number one, followed by the debut of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and the opening weekend of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, then The Little Mermaid at number four, and the second weekend of the Super Mario Brothers movie at $92.3 million, rounding out the top five. This chart is something I like to call the road to recovery as we look at the continued recovery of the theatrical market. The red line you see there is the weekend average for the years 2021 and 2022 after theaters were reopened. The blue line that you see is the weekend average for the years 2015 through 2019, the five years preceding the pandemic. And then that dotted black line is this year. And you see for only the, I think, third time this year, we actually are over the weekend average from where we were pre-pandemic with the opening of The Little Mermaid, with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 holding strong, with Fast X being in its second weekend. The top performing movie for 2015 through 2019 was Disney's Aladdin, another live action remake back in 2019. And the top performing movie for 2021 to 2022 was Top Gun Maverick. It's hard to believe, but the movie opened one year ago this weekend over Memorial Day. It was a big opening, but it couldn't quite bring that average high enough. Still, it's great to see us being ahead of where we were the last couple years and even ahead of where we were right before the pandemic because it just proves that people are going back to the theater. Something we've been looking at is the box office market share, or basically what percentage of ticket sales since January 1st can each studio claim this is what the chart looked like back at the beginning of May right before Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 opened let's see what a difference just a few weeks can make and you can see that the big beneficiary is Disney one Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and the opening weekend for The Little Mermaid means that Disney picks up eight percentage points when we look at the market share for all studios this year. Universal doesn't really lose that much, just over 1%. Disney's basically chipping away at the box office market share of all the other ones, Paramount, Warner, Sony, Amazon, Lionsgate. The all other slice stays about the same. But all of the studios have a lot of skin in the game when we talk about this month upcoming in June. 
Disney has Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, as well as Elemental. And then through 20th Century Studios, they also have The Boogeyman. Paramount has Transformers Rise of the Beast. Warner Brothers, of course, has The Flash. Universal is really out of the game until the end of the month with Ruby Gilman Teenage Kraken on June 30th, along with Asteroid City, which is being released through Focus Features. But I think the studio that really has the best chance to grab back some of that market share is Sony, starting this weekend with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. They also have No Hard Feelings, which opens this month. But I have to say just anecdotally, here in my home market, today I was looking at advanced ticket sales All three IMAX showings for Thursday, which is the preview day, but really the first day that the movie is open, are sold out, which for this market is very unusual. I go to those Thursday shows a lot. Usually I'm one of a handful of people there, and even with kids being out of school for the summer, for all three IMAX shows to already be sold out on opening day is still very unusual for this market. So I've been very high on Across the Spider-Verse. I picked it as my second highest grossing film of the summer domestically. I think that we are in line for a big opening weekend number coming up, and of course I'll be tracking that all weekend and bring you the estimated opening next Monday. Let's look at the top five films this past weekend internationally, and this is where The Little Mermaid really struggled. Fast X was actually the number one film in all markets outside of the U.S. and Canada with another $87.2 million. The Little Mermaid was number two internationally at $68.3 million, largely because the movie did next to no business in China. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 was in third place with $25.1 million. The Super Mario Brothers movie in fourth place with $13.1 million. And China's Godspeed in fifth place with $6.8 million. When you take those international numbers, you combine them with the domestic numbers, we get our top five films of the weekend worldwide. And the domestic opening of The Little Mermaid was able to push it to the number one spot worldwide. A $163.8 million worldwide opening for that movie. Fast X in second place with $110.2 million. Its worldwide drop actually almost exactly matched its drop domestically, about 65%. We're going to talk about the finances of both of those movies in just a second. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 with another $45.9 million worldwide last weekend, followed by another $19.5 million for the Super Mario Brothers movie, and another $6.8 million, as we mentioned, for Godspeed. Looking at the highest opening weekends worldwide for the year so far, The Little Mermaid sneaks in there at number 5 with $163.8 million, but well behind the number 4 opening of the year, which was Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania with $227.4 million. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 remains at number 3 with $289.3 million, followed by Fast X with 318.4, just behind the Super Mario Brothers movie, still the best worldwide opening three-day weekend this year with $319.1 million. So let's break down the performance of The Little Mermaid. It's able to get into the record books a little bit. It was the fifth highest opening weekend over the four-day Memorial Day weekend before adjusting for inflation. If you adjust for inflation, it gets wiped out. Last year, Top Gun Maverick set the record for the highest four-day opener over Memorial Day weekend with $160.5 million, followed by Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End with $153 million, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull back in 2008 with $126.9 million, then 2006's X-Men The Last Stand at $122.8 million, and The Little Mermaid now at number five, with 118 
$1.8 million. And when we look at the summer box office overall, The Little Mermaid was good enough to open in second place. It's made more in its opening weekend than Fast X has through almost two weeks of release. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, of course, easily so far the highest grossing film of the summer domestically at just over $300 million now, followed by The Little Mermaid. Fast X at $113.4 million. Then a huge drop off before you get to Book Club, the next chapter at number four. Love Again at number five. The Machine and About My Father both debuting at numbers six and seven. Hypnotic dropping three spots to number eight. Kandahar debuting at number nine. And Rally Road Racers dropping four spots to number 10. And when you look at my predictions, again, I don't have anything that I predicted in the proper place. Of course, I picked The Little Mermaid as my number one movie of the summer. I don't think that that's going to happen, which we'll talk about in a second. I picked Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse as my number two film of the summer, and we will see what happens with that next weekend. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 at number 3 might have been even selling that one too low because it is currently the number one film of the summer. And then most of my other films have yet to open. The Flash, Mission Impossible, Indiana Jones, Elemental, Fast X I picked as the 8th highest grossing film of the summer and I'm still not feeling too bad about that. And then Oppenheimer and Barbie which will square off on the same weekend in July. But let's talk about the movie at hand and that is The Little Mermaid. And this is another one of those openings that we've talked about very much recently where it's just in this area where you can project almost whatever you want on it. You can put it into any narrative that you have, pro or against the movie, and it would probably fit because it came in on the low end of expectations domestically. There was a range of where people thought it was going to open. It came in on the lower end of that, but it did not tank those expectations. So you can't really say like, oh my God, it vastly underperformed where people thought it was going to do. But it certainly did not overperform it either. And it's that middle ground that allows for a lot of maneuvering room. Internationally, I think that it is safe to say that The Little Mermaid has been a disappointment because it hasn't shown exceptional strength in really any market. And again, as I mentioned, the Chinese market in particular, it did next to nothing. I think it opened in fourth place. Of course, there have been all kinds of discussions about why people in China didn't go see The Little Mermaid. Was it connected to the recasting of Ariel? And then the several complicated discussions that that also brings up. Domestically, I would say it didn't disappoint expectations. But again, it's really going to depend how it does in the weeks ahead for us to be able to make a pure determination on the success or failure of the film. And it's really weird how these things work out because in consecutive weeks with Fast X and The Little Mermaid, we have two films that have almost opposite stories. Fast X opened soft domestically but had really good international numbers. The Little Mermaid opened all right domestically but had really soft international numbers. And The Little Mermaid has been one of those movies and it seems like there's more and more of them that kind of make not talking about movies as much fun because there's been a lot wrapped up in it and a lot of people that have been particularly rooting for this movie to fail for any number of reasons, for political reasons, for personal reasons, the fact that they just don't like Disney remakes. But even when I put out my review of the film, which was a positive review, I immediately saw the backlash from people, people that just did not want to entertain the idea that this was an okay movie. The cinema score on the film was strong. It got an A cinema score from people that actually did go out and see it. But the discussion around 
around this movie I've seen has been generally very negative online. And I think it's another lesson about how the tone and tenor of the discussion of a film online doesn't necessarily translate to how a film is received in the real world. Because again, CinemaScore is something that is tracked from people that actually go out to see those movies. Whereas when you're talking about online discussions, it's kind of up in the air how many people actually do go out and see the film. From opening day, I was already getting comments and messages talking about how much of a flop this was. This was an absolute disaster, long before you can make any of those kinds of determinations. And I think that that's because there are a lot of people that just don't want this movie to succeed, and that's going to be the narrative uh, that they put out there. And really, there's a lot of narratives that are floating around about this film, and a lot of them just aren't true. It is not a miserable failure that bankrupted Disney because it's a woke piece of trash. It's also, though, not a movie that was held back from being a billion-dollar grocer by a bunch of racists who wanted to hate it. The truth, as always, is in that very boring middle part where it's a little harder to get clicks. I'm sure there are some people who didn't go to see the movie because they didn't like that Halle Bailey was playing Ariel. But I think that there are a lot more people who didn't go see the movie because we are in an evolving marketplace because Disney has trained its consumers since 2019 and really since the pandemic that their movies are going to show up on Disney Plus shortly after theatrical release. I can't tell you how many comments I saw in my review saying like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll watch it when it comes to Disney Plus. Disney has partially done some of this to themselves when you talk about the streaming element, and I'm sure they're probably studying have they actually changed the behavior of a lot of their fan base to not go see movies in a theater and to expect things on Disney Plus? And are they going to try to change that behavior now that there is more of a focus on theatrical and less of a focus on streaming? So I think it's, yes, people that stayed home because of Halle Bailey and for political reasons, people that stayed home because they're trained to see things on Disney+. Plus. And I think a lot of people that are just kind of tired of this string of largely underwhelming Disney live-action remakes of their animated hits. It's sort of like, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three, four, five, six times. Eventually, you're not going to keep fooling that audience. And it seems like that's where we are with The Little Mermaid, despite the fact that I personally liked this remake way more than I liked most of the other ones. The reviews were not terrible. The audience response seems all right, but it's a lot of headwinds that you're fighting here. It's not just one reason, not just the one reason that a lot of people would have you believe. It's a lot of different reasons. And when it comes to perspective when covering the box office, it's actually kind of interesting to look at the financial situation of The Little Mermaid compared to Fast X, which we were talking about just a few minutes ago. Last week, I talked about Fast Fast X's road to profitability and the fact that it had such a high budget, it's going to be very tough for it to turn a profit purely from ticket sales in the theatrical window globally. And let's look at that picture right now as compared to The Little Mermaid. So this is Fast X given market estimates. First of all, it's had a great Chinese gross, but only about 20% of that reportedly comes back to investors. So we have $22.8 million coming back from the Chinese gross, about $115.4 million coming from other international markets. Again, the movie has performed very well around the globe. A 60% share of the first week ticket sales domestically 
which only equals out to $84.9 million. And then a 55% share of its week two ticket sales, which so far comes out to about $28.5 million. Overall, so far, I estimate the film has netted about $200 million out of its $500 plus million global theatrical gross. The problem being, Fast X was heinously expensive. A $340 million budget reportedly, tack on advertising costs of about $100 million, which is about standard for a film this big. That gives you a cost of $440 million when you have a net of about $204.9 million. That means that Fast X still needs to bring in about $235 million in theatrical revenue to break even just from ticket sales. And yet the conversation around Fast X generally is about its strong international performance. And there hasn't been a lot of focus on just how much money it needs to make because of its enormous budget. Let's look now at The Little Mermaid, where the conversation, I believe, just looking around, has been about an underwhelming box office performance thus far. Looking at the numbers again, you get 20% from China. Well, it's only made about $2.6 million in China, so that brings in about half a million dollars in revenue. 40% share of the $65.6 million the film has made internationally. That equals out about $26.2 million. But the film opened well, at least compared to Fast X domestically. A 60% share of the film's $118.8 million gross so far brings in about $71.2 million, keeping in mind that it is likely that more than 60% of the opening weekend gross for The Little Mermaid went back to Disney because Disney has notoriously been very aggressive when negotiating how much they get from theaters, especially in the opening weekend. I'm keeping it at 60% of my calculations just to keep things consistent, but it is likely more. The Little Mermaid reportedly had a budget of $250 million, again, an advertising cost of $100 million for a film of that size. That brings you to $350 million in costs. So far, I estimate a net theatrical revenue of $98 million from its $187.1 million global gross. That means the movie needs to bring in about $250 million more in the theatrical window profit-wise for it to break even, which when you look at it compared to Fast X, there's only about a $15 million difference. Essentially, The Little Mermaid financially, by my estimation, after four days of release, is in the same position that Fast X is in after two weekends of release. And yet, you don't hear those two movies being discussed in the same way because of the difference in expectations and because people don't look at things like the size of the budget comparatively between two different films. Actually, these movies are performing about the same from a return on investment standpoint. And I think that over time, The Little Mermaid is actually going to exceed where Fast X stands. I'm going to keep an eye on this. And that's mainly because you get more if you're Disney and the other investors in the film, you get more of a cut from that domestic gross and The Little Mermaid is stronger domestically than it is around the world. So it is very interesting to see how these two films are discussed when you look at them back to back. But when you look at just The Little Mermaid, I think, in my opinion, looking at the holistic opening of the film, it's hard to say that it's not a disappointing global opening for the movie. If you're Disney and you have that investment and you look at the past results of things like Aladdin and Lion King, which are billion dollar plus grocers, I'm sure that you wish that this movie would have done that. Of course, that was 2019. It was four plus years ago. That was a completely different box office pre-pandemic era, but still... The fact that it is so low is probably discouraging to Disney, and really the success of the movie depends on how well it holds, crucially, 
in the domestic marketplace in a very busy June. I mean, June is a packed month. We just talked about all the things that were coming out from the different studios, including Disney. They have a Pixar film and Indiana Jones coming out in the next month. The Little Mermaid's really going to have to hold strong against that competition. I don't know if it's going to, but this movie really is something, you know, my narrative is always the numbers, and I try to stay as neutral as I can when talking about the financial health of a movie. This has been a really interesting case, not the start that I think Disney wanted, but the finish is really what's going to be the most important here. We have a lot more box office to track, but before we do that, I'd like to take a minute to thank this week's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by StoryWorth. This year is going by incredibly fast, and Father's Day is already coming up soon, meaning it's the perfect time to find a gift that is truly unique and meaningful, and StoryWorth is the perfect gift. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. Every week, StoryWorth will email your loved one a question of your choice from their vast pool of options. These are questions you may have never had the chance to ask, like what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Or if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? I gave my mom StoryWorth last year, and the incredible things that I've learned about my family, along with the photos that she's provided, are so rewarding. And after one year, StoryWorth will compile your loved one's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. This year, give all the dads in your life a unique, meaningful gift you'll all cherish for years with StoryWorth. And right now, for a limited time, you'll save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash Merle. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash Merle, M-U-R-R-E-L-L, to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash Merle. This episode is brought to you by Factor. We are turning the corner into the summer season, which means more activities, less time inside, but also more focus on eating the diet that's right for you. That's where Factor comes in. America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy, then get back outside and soak up the warmer weather. With 34-plus prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. Plus, you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 45-plus add-ons, including breakfast items and smoothies. This month, get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door ready in just two minutes no prep no mess head to factormeals.com slash merle 50 and use code merle 50 to get 50 percent off your first box that's code merle 50 at factormeals.com slash merle 50 to get 50 percent off your first box We've talked a lot about Fast X on the show already. Let's take a look at the franchise tracker for all of the Fast and Furious films. Looking first at the movies by domestic box office total, Fast X has continued to surpass the total of the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, but it's still number 10 in the franchise overall. It should be passing too fast, too furious in the next couple of days. And then really this week, it's looking to get to number seven to bypass too fast, too furious, the Fast and the Furious and 
2009's Fast and Furious, but that basically just puts it in the same era as the other films. Right now, it's about $60 million behind F9, The Fast Saga. We're just going to have to see how much gas this movie has left in the tank. When you look at it adjusted for inflation, again, Fast X is the 10th highest grossing film of the franchise thus far. It is about $80 million behind F9, and I'm sure that if you are Vin Diesel, you do not want to see this movie stall out domestically and be the 10th highest grossing film of the franchise. So we will see if it is able to keep pace with these other movies. If it can get to around $200 million, then it could start climbing this chart. I just personally don't know how much left it's got domestically. Looking at it worldwide, though, it is over the half billion dollar mark. If that budget was more reasonable, then I think that it would be in a much better position. But it still has over $100 million left before it passes Fast Five, and then an even bigger mountain to climb, about another $200 million needed worldwide if it wants to bypass F9 to become the fifth highest gross film in the Fast Saga. Again, this is very dependent on what the worldwide box office looks like. How does The Flash do? How does Indiana Jones do? How does Across the Spider-Verse do this upcoming weekend? That is going to be crucial when we look at the continued performance of this Fast and the Furious film. We also mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and looking at its domestic gross through 24 days, it continues to be about where it was, which is running almost even with Thor Love and Thunder, although I I think this week we may see it surpass the gross of Thor Love and Thunder to this point, and I still believe that it is going to end up grossing a bit more than that film domestically because it is holding very well. Looking at the MCU franchise tracker, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 remains the 20th highest grossing film in the MCU. However, it will shortly surpass Iron Man 2, Thor Ragnarok, the first Iron Man film, and then probably Guardians of the Galaxy and Spider-Man Homecoming to get up to number 15. And then there we see Thor Love and Thunder at number 14. And then it's really going to be about whether or not it can pass the domestic gross of the previous Guardians film, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, to continue climbing up this chart. Looking at the MCU by inflation, adjusted grosses Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is in about the same place it's at number 21 on the list it'll soon bypass Captain America the Winter Soldier if it gets to 350 million dollars it will pass Thor Love and Thunder and then it looks like it's likely to settle around that Thor Ragnarok area perhaps under Spider-Man Homecoming then looking at it by worldwide gross Guardians 3 is advancing more quickly 737.9 million dollars is now the 18th highest grossing film in the MCU it will shortly past Thor Love and Thunder's worldwide gross to become number 17 and then the original Guardians of the Galaxy is quickly after that then we're looking at it settling in under Thor Ragnarok at about 850.4 million dollars if it continues holding well you could see it bypass that and then it's just kind of a hop skip and a jump to pass Black Panther Wakanda Forever Guardians Volume 2 and a few other movies again the global marketplace and how well Guardians holds against all this competition is going to dictate where it lands on these different trackers. Let's take a deeper dive into the weekend grosses and look at the per theater averages for May 26th through 28th. So this would be the Friday through Sunday of the Memorial Day weekend. And this was largely dominated by the big movies. That's what people were going to see. The Little Mermaid bringing in just over $22,000 in each of its 4,320 theaters, followed by Fast X with a $5,633 per theater average. Then right behind it, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, its theater count dipped below $4,000 
4,000, but its theater average was at $5,283. Then we had the film Sanctuary in 10 theaters with a per theater average of $4,083. And just edging out the machine in fifth place was the Indian film Gode Gode Cha in 73 theaters, bringing in $2,997 per theater. The Little Mermaid's per theater average was good enough for number five on the highest per theater averages of 2023 list with $22,125. It comes in behind Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania's opening weekend average of $24,421. Guardians Volume 3's opening weekend average, which was just over $26,000. Then the opening weekend of the Super Mario Brothers movie, which brought in just over $33,000 per theater. And the limited release opening of Bo is Afraid in four theaters, which easily still tops this chart at just over $80,000 per theater. Looking at the films that were in limited release, so these are 1,000 theaters or fewer. Nicole Hall of Center's You Hurt My Feelings was good enough for number one. It was in 912 theaters and brought in nearly $1.4 million. Gode Gode Cha was good enough for number two at $218,000 in 73 theaters. Blackberry continues its run on the limited release chart in 197 theaters for a total of just over $182,000, followed by the Indian film Jody with over $130,000 in an as-yet-determined number of theaters, and Nefarious in its seventh week still hanging around $128,000 in 166 theaters. Looking at the top 10 grocers in limited release this year, a couple of changes on this chart. Patan remains at number one. The re-release of Return of the Jedi remains at number two, followed by A Man Called Otto's Run in limited release, and Women Talking at number four. Nefarious moves up to number five. Pony and Selvin Part 2 moves up to number six. The Wandering Earth 2 moves down to number seven, and then numbers eight, nine, and ten remain the same. Mummies, the limited release run of Bo is Afraid, and The Whale rounding out the top ten. The movies that you see on that limited release chart are often found in the independent theaters that are scattered around this country and around the world that often thrive by booking these different films. And I've been featuring a different independent theater here on the show each week for the last several weeks. And this week we are going all the way to the Pacific Northwest to the Blue Mouse Theater in Tacoma, Washington. It was opened in November of 1923, which means it is almost 100 years old. It has remained in continuous operation ever since. The Blue Mouse was originally part of a larger chain of theaters in the Pacific Northwest, including a larger Blue Mouse Theater in Tacoma. It was since renamed the Proctor and then the Bijou over the years, and the theater was bought in the 1990s by a group of locals who feared that it would be targeted for closure as it struggled for survival. The theater was restored back to its original state, inside and out, and offers a variety of options for cinephiles in the Tacoma area. In addition to playing new releases like Across the Spider-Verse. The Blue Mouse also hosts local movie screenings, a once-monthly horror movie revival night, special revival screenings like an upcoming Costumes and Courage showing of Ghostbusters that's happening next week, and a regular screening of the Rocky Horror Picture Show featuring their own dedicated Rocky Horror troupe, the Blue Mouseketeers. In 2010, the Blue Mouse was listed on the National Registry of Historic Places, and you can find out more at bluemousetheater.com. There was not a donation link that I could find there, but if you do end up going there to see a movie, as always, be sure to tell them Dan sent you. 
Let's take a look now at some charts covering the 2023 box office overall, and we will start with the 2023 domestic box office, where the Super Mario Brothers movie still dominates with $560.8 million. Guardians 3 is in second place with just over $300 million, followed by Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania at $214.4 million, John Wick Chapter 4 in fourth place, and Creed 3 in fifth place. The Little Mermaid does well enough in its opening four-day stretch, to come in sixth place on this chart, followed by Fast X, which moves up two spots from last week. Scream 6 drops down two spots, as does Megan, and rounding out the top 10 is Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Dropping out of the top 10 altogether is Cocaine Bear. What a movie that was. Remember that one? Looking at the domestic box office as far as calendar growth, so this is all tickets sold after January 1st. The Super Mario Brothers movie is at number one. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 has now sold more tickets tickets this year than Avatar The Way of Water, and it moves up to number two. Avatar moves down to number three. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is at number four. John Wick Chapter 4 is at number five. Creed 3 is at number six. Puss in Boots The Last Wish for now is at number seven, but it is in danger of being passed by both The Little Mermaid, which enters this chart at number eight, and Fast X, which enters the chart at number nine. Then Scream 6 drops two spots to number 10, and we lose both Megan and Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves from the 2023 calendar year box office. Looking at the worldwide box office for the year so far, the Super Mario Brothers movie is at almost $1.3 billion now. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, now the second highest grossing film of the year worldwide at $737.9 million, dropping China's Full River Red down to number three. The Wandering Earth stays at number four. Fast X jumps up two spots, having cracked the half-billion-dollar mark to number five. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania drops to number six. John Wick Chapter 4 drops to number seven. Creed 3 stays at number 8, Boonie Bear's Guardian Code stays at number 9, and Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves stays at number 10. It is very likely, unless something goes very wrong, that we will see The Little Mermaid on this chart next week. And then the big question is, will we also see Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse on this chart? Before we wrap things up, as always, I want to take a look at a weekend in box office history, and this week we are going back to Memorial Day weekend 1998. And if I was ever going to tell an incredible style villain origin story as far as film criticism and my innocence when it comes to big event movies, then Memorial Day weekend 1998 would probably be the beginning of that story because it saw the opening of Godzilla, which at that time in my life was the most anticipated movie that I could ever imagine and boy what a letdown that film was it taught me a very tough lesson which is that big movies aren't always good 55.7 million dollars over the four-day Memorial Day weekend it had actually opened earlier that week so it was a total of 74.2 million dollars by the time we got to the end of the holiday in second place in its third week of release was Deep Impact with 19.3 million dollars for a box office total of just under a hundred million dollars then in its second week of release, Robert Redford's The Horse Whisperer with $14.5 million, Bullworth, which expanded to wide release with $10.5 million, and then the forgotten, except for the people in the comments section who are going to get angry at me for saying it was forgotten, 
animated film Quest for Camelot, rounding out the top five with $6.3 million. Finishing just outside the top five on Memorial Day weekend 1998, by the way, was Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which was not a big everywhere play, but has since become, I think, not just a cult classic, but for many people, just a classic film. Of course, we don't just let sleeping dogs lie when we do a box office flashback. I like to look at what these numbers would be if you translated them into today's dollars, which means that we are going to hit that inflation button, and when we do, we see that Godzilla opened to an adjusted total 25 years ago of $103.7 million with a total running tally of $138.2 million in its first week of release. Deep Impact bringing in $36 million for a box office total of $184 million. Yeah, Deep Impact was a pretty big hit back then. The Horse Whisperer was in third place with $27 million total and a running total of $61.5 million, followed by Bullworth at $19.5 million and a domestic total of just under $20 million, and Quest for Camelot in fifth place at $11.7 million and a domestic total at just over $25 million. And that wraps up our look back at this past box office weekend. Looking ahead at what's opening this week, a few different options for you. First of all, tonight there's a Fathom event on the heels of Sheen Godzilla and Sheen Ultraman. We have Sheen Kamen Rider, which you can catch tonight. And then opening this weekend in wide release, of course, we have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And we also have The Boogeyman, which is kind of a hyped horror film that'll be hitting theaters nationwide. Then in limited release, we have a lot of different options, including including Past Lives from writer-director Celine Song. This is her first film. This movie's gotten lots of buzz, some great reviews. It's about two childhood friends from South Korea who reunite as adults. It's being distributed here by A24. Also opening in limited release is a film called Falcon Lake. It's a French-Canadian supernatural teenage romance from director Charlotte Lebon. There's also a new documentary called Lynch Oz, which is a look at David Lynch's career through the lens of The Wizard of Oz, which sounds very interesting. And then this Saturday night, oh boy, it's an event that I have been looking forward to since I learned about it while I was researching this show. Suga. August Detour Live is streaming from Japan on Saturday night. Suga, of course, was a member of BTS who is now rapping solo under the name August D, and I probably got almost none of those facts right. Here's what I do know, however. This live stream event is happening on Saturday night. I looked at various theaters around the country. Uh, The theater in my home market is almost sold out. I looked at several theaters in New York City that were also almost sold out across different boroughs, etc., So we could well see this pop up on the box office charts as a special event like we did with BTS and other concert events before. So don't sleep on Suga and this live stream from Japan because apparently many people who definitely know who Suga aka August D are are very excited about. Uh, I'm not one of those people and honestly I think it'd be a little weird if I was. Thanks so much for watching this episode of Charts with Dan. Stay tuned later this week for a review of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I'm probably going to try to throw in a news show as well as a streaming charts show. And then next week, this show will be on Monday. I'll have my review of The Flash out on Tuesday when the embargo drops. And then later next week, I'll have my review of Transformers Rise of the Beast along with other stuff that we always do here on the channel. It's the busy summer movie season and I wouldn't have it any other way. Thank you so much for spending part of your day here with me. Thank you so much to my sponsors this week. You can find out more about them in the description below. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Bye.